With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 91, The Game That Goes Wrong. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast for podcasts that's questions its life choices at times like this when it has to talk about a game of football, but it's just witnessed the questions. Why couldn't I have just found another interest? I know. Why couldn't I have liked another sport? Why couldn't I have just preferred something? Why do I have to fall in love with football? I'm joined by Jam, Carefree Jam, head of the Chelsea Social. Jam, how are we doing, my man? Yes, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be on. Um, I'm glad that we had a little bit of time between the end of that game and the, the start of the pod, to be honest. But um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm in high spirits. What can I say? You know, always try and be opt- optimistic and all that is what it is. Yeah, nah, exactly. We're recording about 90 minutes after the game is finished. So emotions have had time to cool down. But do not worry, there will be a, a big, you know, rant, I guessing, about the standard of refereeing, usage of VAR, etc. We will get into that. Don't worry. But Jam, what I want to focus on, and I think it's important we chat about it because it could it could very easily get lost in amongst you know the surrounding noise about that game. Chelsea was so good. Like when we talk about, you know, we won obviously last week at Everton, but we weren't great. We were pretty dull. We were pretty toothless. But I mean, that was arguably probably the best performance since Madrid away in the Champions League, where we just fell short. That was probably honestly one of the best performances we've seen from a Chelsea side in such a long time. Absolutely. And um, I mean, if you look at the record now, I think Spurs have won once at Stamford Bridge in any competition in 38 games. I mean, to be fair, they're going to come into this game and be down. and We're going to come into this game and be up for it. And that's what we saw. We saw intensity. We saw fluidity. We saw direct play. And you, you know me, Nick. I, I've, um, I've had an agenda against the 3-4-3 for a little while. As a long-term thing, I understand we might not have the players all the time to play in the four at the back, whatever. I get it. 
But as a long-term thing, it's not my cup of tea. And I think today we saw reasons as to why we should look at being a bit more fluid when possible because we we just looked unreal. We just looked unreal. Um, and I'm encouraged from that because I I, um, I even said it in my review, I thought we were a few weeks behind in our pre-season preparations compared to many other teams in, in, in the Premier League. Um, but just in general, we looked, we didn't look sharp. We looked like we we're still trying to get fitness, X, Y, Z. Today's kind of, push that back a little bit because Tottenham were getting smoked, blown up their backsides by the media saying, oh yeah, Spurs look really good. Uh, Conte's probably got a tune coming out of these guys, media darlings. What were the media darlings doing today apart from scamming a 2-2 result? Like we, we played them off the park and I'm, I'm encouraged by it, man. I really am. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if you've been reading, you know, just various like Sky Sports, other various news publications. There were like general predictions happening that Spurs would go to Stamford Bridge and win. And there was a general feeling like it wasn't unrealistic. It was very possible given the way we played. But Jam, aside from those first five minutes, that first half, we were all over him. It was perfect. I said the only criticism, and it is a problem still remains, is we didn't kill that game off. Oh, absolutely. We're not going to get rid of this problem soon. Um, at least not this window. Hopefully I'm wrong. But, you know, we, we do still, even though I... I'm of the feelings and thoughts that we need to create more chances. I think today we saw us create chances. Like that cannot be a complaint. But actually today what we saw was that we didn't finish these chances. And that's the problem that's going to be ongoing throughout the season, I'm afraid. I mean, you look at a lot of our rivals and um, they've got stone cold finishes up front. You know, Jesus, Harry Kane, Nunez is supposed to be that guy, and maybe he will be. Um, and then you've got Erling Haaland. Like, they've all got these finishes, and unfortunately, we are kind of relying on an inconsistent Kai Havertz here. And he had a massive chance today, and uh, so do so too did Raheem Sterling. And I'm not just saying that because I've got an agenda against him, but it's it's true. There, there was quite a clear cut chance for him too, and. That's just the theme of Chelsea. We we do seem to not be able to convert these these kind of chances in the last couple of years, which is a shame. I mean, that needs to change if we really want anything to come out of this season. But I'm not really holding on to too much hope on that on that yeah. front. No, exactly. Obviously, we'll kind of get onto sort of a mischance a bit there. But obviously, Raheem Sterling's mischance did probably come about two minutes, two three minutes before Spurs equalised, and it was such a big chance we did miss. It was frustrating. But Jam Kaldu Koulibaly on his Stamford Bridge debut. Channeled his inner Gary Cahill from about 10 years ago at White Hart Lane. What a finish. It was he has became the first player to score his first Premier League goal for Chelsea in a game against Spurs since the great Michael Essien in March 2006. And Jam, it was two new signings linking up Cucurella to Koulibaly. Oh, I mean, what a great corner and a banging finish. That And that was just brilliant. And it set us off. And, and you know, we thought, boom, there we go. Oh, mate, that, that was absolutely unbelievable. And I couldn't believe it. I had to watch the replay a few times. And in the slow-mo replay, you actually see how he connected with the ball and how he meant it. And he's got it in such a way that he wanted to control that volley, but he's got it almost with the outside of his foot and just put backspin on it. And that's kept it at a good height. And that kind of a technique is unreal. You you see a lot of really good strikers do that, but you don't. you're not supposed to see centre-backs do that. And I think today we really saw the technique that this guy brings because even in possession, I think there's one time where he made a bit of an error. But other than that, 
when he's in possession, he's actually quite composed. His body doesn't look like he is because he's quite a big guy. But that aside, like the guy's quite composed and he's both footed. Reminds me of a certain other number 26 we used to have. Do you know what I mean? And like, he he's just going to go from strength to strength. I mean, he's had a very quick start, good start in the Premier League. Um, you know, he was maybe unlucky not to get, be given man in a match against Everton. He was he was just as good. He got cramped. He got, he came off just before the end. But today, I think he was he was unreal, unreal. Even in in terms of passing, like passing through the lines, like he won't hesitate. This is what I love about it. Last season, I was getting so frustrated with us holding on to the ball for too long at the back, getting complacent, no one really looking for these sort of killer passes. But today, and this might be a product of a bit of a change in formation in some sense, which we're going to talk about, I know. This is what I was always saying. If you're playing with four at the back, all of a sudden, the centre-backs slash the full-backs have more of an incentive to actually get rid of that ball sooner. And I think... That mixed with how he usually plays with his directness was excellent. Like he just wanted to get that ball forward into the midfield as soon as he could. And he always did it in a very, very, very controlled way. Big up Koulibaly, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, unfortunately, and I guess the first moment of controversy of this game uh, was Spurs' equaliser. Now, obviously, about 30 seconds to a minute beforehand, Kai Havertz was fouled by Bentoncourt down the pitch. Anthony Taylor wave play on. And Jam, obviously, you know, it's not ideal. That should be a Chelsea free kick. Um, but I'm not going to use, I'm, while, a, while, a, while a mistake from Anthony Taylor, I'm going to, you know, focus more on the part of Tremie Moore. We get in a position where we have sort of, you know, we're not, we've got the ball. Jorginho has the ball. He then is dispossessed and it falls to um, Hoiberg. And he's his shot, takes a shot and it goes in. And I guess this is the more controversial part. There's a certain Mr. Richarlison who's a sub standing, you know, I guess pretty much in front of Edward, like blocking Edward Mendy's view. Uh, but he's deemed a goal. Obviously, well, we'll talk about it. First off, ourselves to blame for putting ourselves in the position, even though there was an error before. But then VAR deciding, you know what? No, that's absolutely fine. That first goal is good. I guess just, you know, frustrating. Yeah, this was the beginning of the scumbaggery. It, it was like you know um, the 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 so called foul on Kai Havertz. I'm I'm still fifty fifty with it. I'm I'm not sure if it's always going to be a foul. That I can allow. I can literally allow that because it was a scuffle. He may have got a turn the ball. Move on, Jorginho, Mister Captain today at that time. You must get rid of that ball. You've just received the ball when you've got three Spurs players around you. And he knows this. He's got great vision. He's always looking around the pitch. The first thing you have to do is toe punt that out of danger. You don't need to, you don't need backswing. You don't need a backswing on it to get that ball out. Just toe punt it. Just get it beyond them. You're on your own box. Like, get rid of it. And um, obviously he, he tries to like, knock the ball past a guy or something, loses it and bang, it's in the back of the net. But my biggest, biggest, biggest grievance with that goal is Richarlison being offside. So at the time I took the um, commentator's words for it. So when they said it's been ruled onside, it's fine. I kind of took their words for it. 
didn't really see any other replays. But then after the game, I saw a still photo where Richarlison is clearly in Mendy's eye line when that ball's just about to be hit by Hoiberg. There is no way you can actually say that he's not obstructing Mendy and he stood in an offside position. So I'd, again, that's another thing. I'd love to hear, um, what's his name? Dermot Gallagher come out and say his opinion on it. Um, because it's it's just unbelievable. It, it should not have been a goal ever. It really shouldn't have been. No, but despite that, we go up the other end of the pitch and we kind of get Jorginho, I guess, and, you know, out of jail. And I guess we can potentially, at that point, we think, right, we put the controversial narrative to bed because Reese James scored. And Reese James has now been directly involved in 15 goals and 28 appearances in the Premier League since the start of last season. Six goals, nine assists for most of any defender. And Jam, it's some finish. And it's actually, it's brilliant play from us because, again, if I'm correct, is it Koulibaly actually nudges someone off the ball? Is it? He, he nudges yes, Koulibaly yeah. off the ball. He gets it to Kante. Mm-hmm. And credit to... Uh, gets it to Kante, gets it to Sterling. Is it Sterling with the assist or is it Kante with the assist? One of them two. And they get it, to, get it to Sterling. And Sterling, credit to him, fights, sees Reese, fights, sees Reese, and then it's past Reese, and Reese fires it past Hugo Reese, and we're 2 1 up. And at that point, we're probably thinking, right, this should be good. But just a moment for that, just like goal, because that was again just, you know, showing a whole team coming together there. Yeah, it was excellent. And that's um, tribute to our. Intensity today. We we were just better than Spurs across the whole pitch. We wanted it more than them. And, you know, people sometimes take the piss out of saying passion and desire and intensity and will, but you can never run away from the ugly side of football. You always need that in your game some way, in, in, in sort of some way. And I think that's how we saw it. Koulibaly kick-starting things there, like winning that ball. It was massive and um, it was a really good goal. Sterling almost looked like he wasn't going to pass, but then he did and it was perfect. And yeah, Reese on his finish, it, it was brilliant. I think he may have given Lloris the eyes. That's why Lloris went down. Um, but no, it was an excellent finish. And, you know, Reese used to be a striker, didn't he? I, I, I believe back in the day. That's where his excellent striking comes from in terms of those kind of situations. But um that's uh, that's a real positive, that goal. I liked how direct we were. For once, we were on the break and we took our chance, no questions asked. Like It's really good to see that, that we can capitalise on a, a turnover of possession or a mistake, you know, so quickly. Because that was quite a quick finish, do you know what I mean? We just went straight up the pitch. So it was yeah. really good. Yeah, no, exactly, it was. And it looked, it certainly looked for time, like Chelsea... Had you know, you know, done what done enough, done what they needed to do. Uh, but then we get into about the 94th, 95th minute. Spurs have a corner. Christian Romero yanks Mark Cucurella's hair, pulling him down. Um, Anthony Taylor has a perfect view of it, does nothing. There's a VAR check in which when you're feeling okay, come on, VAR, do your job. And they deem it not a red card offense. Spurs get another corner and they score from it. And it's pretty, you know, the 96th minute. And it is a killer. And Jam, look, we can talk about it. We shouldn't be conceding goal from a corner. You know, it's poor. But the point is, and the problem I have with all this is, we should not have been put in that position to have to defend another corner. As much as it was horrendous, us dealing with it, and it was poor and we have ourselves to for that, we should not have been in that position. But Jam, explain to me, try, just what, just your thoughts when, you know, 
they're just given another corner and you see the goal going because it did feel inevitable as soon as VAR didn't have the balls to overturn that, uh, that it was going to be a goal. Well, you've done well to refer to him by his full name. I mean, I've been calling him Voldemort recently. Like, you know, this guy, he's just our nemesis, repeated nemesis. He he goes away for a while, might rough a few games in between where he's okay. And when it comes to a big game, he comes back with a vengeance, turns into Voldemort again. I can't explain how it isn't a foul. The, the only way that... Or maybe I can explain this, and this might not even make sense, but I'm thinking out loud here, is if that might just have been before the ball came into play and it may have been a yellow card offence, but VAR may, may not actually be able to do anything about that. Yeah, yeah he yeah, he saw that. So, I, I mean, it's it's still horrendously bad, no matter how you put it. I'm just trying to explain how maybe we, we ended up in this situation. And um, Anthony Taylor needs to get seriously marked down for this game, and I hope he does. And I mean, yeah, you can't always go and fan opinion, but what was quite encouraging is um, Chelsea fans have been complaining about him for years, ever since that, may even be before this, but I remember it really started since that FA Cup final where he sent Kovacic off for the most nonsense thing. Now, even before, before that, he let Alexis it, Sanchez play a game of volleyball in the 2017 oh, yeah. FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, you know, we've known about this uh, Mr. Voldemort for a little while, or he who shall not be named, let's put it that way. But, you know, the, it, it seemed today that a lot of rival fans were actually saying Chelsea fans might be onto something with Anthony Taylor and then I saw a lot of people saying, how the hell was that allowed? And... I don't know if it's just me being the optimistic guy that I am, but I just hope that something actually comes of that. Like he gets penalised in some way, shape or form. Like Tuchel said it himself after the game. He was like, yeah, I got a red card, so I can't coach my team in the next game. But Anthony Taylor can still referee. Something's not right there. Yeah, no, exactly. And look, unfortunately with that, goal. It meant that Spurs have picked up more points from losing positions in the Premier League since Antonio Conte's first game in charge. Only Liverpool have more with 19, Spurs have 15. It's pretty depressing, but Spurs, for despite all them thinking they've won the league, etc., that, you know, is their World Cup is a win for them. It's still only one win in their now last 38 games, 13 draws, 24 losses. Um, yeah, look, before we kind of get into, I guess, questions where we'll be about individual players and other things, I'm going to talk about refereeing VAR because I, like, you, it, it was so problem this game. You can't ignore it. We've kind of gone over the first one. The second one we've kind of discussed, and this is kind of my big issue with VAR, is that that is a clear that him not noticing um, Cucurella's hair being pulled or not doing anything about it is a clear and obvious error. That is a clear and obvious error. But the rules, because it's not a clear red card offence, he can't, he can't do anything about it. But that is still a clear error that has been made on that pitch. The referee has had a perfect view of it and he's not seen it. And he's pussied out of making a decision. He's pussied out of making a decision. And then VAR, and I'll get into this, Mike Dean retired from refereeing last year. And why do referees retire from you know doing that job? Because they're not up to it anymore. But what does he get given? He gets given a job in the VAR booth. Oh, yes, that's fair. A referee who's not up to doing his job is given a job of being a VAR 
official, which is essentially a, a secondary referee. But you know what? He's given a job. And you know what also doesn't help? It's because this is a problem that we only see in England. We do not see these levels of mistakes made in the Champions League, which Chelsea compete in. We do not see these levels of mistakes made in other leagues. And the reason why there is an issue is because there is a culture with referees in England that they're all mates. It's all one giant boys club and they're afraid and they're scared to make decisions against their mates. And let's be clear, this isn't the first time we've seen a decision go wrong against Chelsea. If people remember, we played a game against Spurs in 2020. Giovanni Lo Celso was not sent off for attack on Cesar Azpilicueta. Before the game was ended, there was a statement that came out and said, we've got it wrong. We've got it wrong. But Giovanni Lo Celso was still on the pitch. And this is the problem, that too many high-profile errors keep getting made. And the reason there's a narrative around Anthony Taylor is because he, when he happens to referee Chelsea games, there is controversy. And that is a big issue. And it's not... And people are now starting to see it because it happens too often. But look, going back to referees and VR, this is where this needs to be a point. It won't happen. It will not happen because they because the problem with their usage of VAR is they don't want it to interfere with the game as much as it does. But the problem is when you've introduced something, you've kind of got to properly do it now. You can't just pick and choose where you want to use it. Because again, I'm going to use an example. Spurs' first goal was allowed and it wasn't, they weren't allowed to call a foul in the build-up because it was a different phase of play. Yet last season, Chelsea had a game against Southampton at Stamford Bridge where Timo Werner had a goal disallowed because apparently there was a, you know, there was a foul in the build-up. But that happened about a similar time length to when Spurs, you know, scored from said thing to when we scored against Hampton. But ours against Hampton wasn't given and Spurs' was. And this is, again, just a big issue with refereeing and the quality of refereeing and the usage of VRs because we've got people in it who simply are not good enough and not up to the job. Because, again, Thomas Tuchel before his press conference, was kind of, you know, wanted to play down this Anthony Taylor narrative. But he sees it. The players see it. You could see like how furious the players were when that first goal got allowed. You could see how furious they were when the, sec- when the clear hair pull was denied. And ultimately, it's an issue that's going to remain that until there is a clear overhaul of referees in this country, we're going to see the same mistakes made. Because let's not forget, no English referees went to the 2018 World Cup. I don't know about the number for Euros. Obviously, Anthony Taylor was at the Euros because he was involved in quite a high-profile match for the wrong reasons uh, there, but thankfully had a good outcome. Um, But this is the point. You've got referees who who don't make the right decisions, but then you've got the chance to rectify that decision. But these decisions do not get made. And I can't explain it. And the only thing I can say is because we see this so often, they don't want to overturn, they don't want to overrule their mates' decisions. And it is just one giant boys club and it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. Nothing is going to change. And it's, you know what? It wouldn't even surprise me if we get a statement in the next day or two from the Premier League or whoever saying, apologising, saying, you know what? We got it wrong. I think so-and-so should have been sent off of that hair pull on Cucurella. We saw it last year. There was an apology issued to Everton and Frank Lampard when Everton weren't given a penalty against Rodri on VAR. That's all well and good issuing apology. That's cost us two points today. And that's going to keep happening because they don't make decisions. They're too scared to overturn their mates and they're too scared to actually make proper decisions. And this is an issue that's going to keep happening and keep happening because the officials are not up to the standard in England. Why do you get good refs in the Champions League? Because they're from overseas. You get, you've got a better selection of referees from different leagues, different overseas, and you never see fans. I do not see fans from Syria or the Bundesliga or any other leagues complaining about the usage of VAR or whatever. It's only in England where it's an issue. And there's not... And so while I do think there is an issue with VAR and the fact that you should be able to turn overturn a clear and obvious error, even if it's not a red card offence, say giving a free kick to a team, I think that should be I think you should be allowed to 
overturn decision is it a corner or not i think you should be allowed it takes time but i think you should be allowed stuff because for example we had a corner in the first half but thankfully taylor overruled his assistant on but which was a clear corner that got missed by the linesman and kai was shouting him, but thankfully the ref overruled him on that but these are the things if you've got var and you've got technology yes it may slow down the game a bit if you're not, but you've got to make right decisions you can't like if you've got var to make right decisions then you've got to have right decisions everywhere you can't pick and choose what right decisions you have to make now on another day on another day, this Cucurella hair getting pulled isn't an issue if it stays 2-1 and we win. It gets forgotten about, but it's still a big, clear VAR error, and that's got to change. Anyway, rant over. The referees are inept. Anthony Taylor needs to not referee Chelsea game, and in fact, there is a petition that's going around, and I think it's got, at the time of recording, it's got about 10,000 signatures. So to whoever yeah. set that up, kudos to you, my man. Um yeah. Lovely rant, by the way. I've got to say, it's been something. Look, it, Jam, it's something I've felt for a while. We've seen Chelsea get screwed over by countless mistakes in finals, even with mm-hmm. VAR. Like it came to a head today in a big game against Spurs. Again, that's maybe why there's more angry. There's more anger towards that decision. But it's simple. You can't afford. This is a top sport. This is a professional sport with top level athletes with a brilliant product. The Premier League is a brilliant product. But you can't afford to let this amateurness ruin it. And all this amateur, look, don't get me wrong, the amateurness adds to the drama, adds to the chaos, adds to the storyline. We've got Battle of the Bridge 2.0 full time due to, you know, the ineptness. So broadcasters, et cetera, I like, are loving it. They can milk this. There's a narrative they can run, et cetera. What's going to go? But you can't let, but you've got professional players on that pitch. You've got professional coaches. Today on the touchline, you had probably two of the best coaches in the world going head to head. You had a Chelsea team going head-to-head with a Spurs team, but, you know, it was a, in stark contrast to last year. And that game got ruined and got overshadowed by amateur decision-making from referee and VAR. And that cannot happen. It's a professional game. You need to have top decisions being made. And there are no excuses now. You've got technology. There are no excuses to keep making mistakes because other leagues do not have make these same mistakes. The Premier League makes these same mistakes. And every week we will see something different. It's not just us. It feels like it happens to a lot with us, with Anthony Taylor in particular, but it happens to other clubs in dis- clubs as well with decisions that go against them. And it's simply not good enough. Yeah, Nick, you, do you know what? Just before we move on, I mean, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And not to take this in too much of a different direction, but the, the, the thing that you said about because their mates are in charge of the game kind of thing is, is absolutely spot on. And, you know, there's another place that we've seen that happening recently that's been in the news and someone's been sacked you know so uh, (laughs) I mean that might just be a thing with with maybe this this country inherently but yeah it's it's not it's not good like just that accountability we need to find a way of getting that into the game you know we really need to find a way Um, and again just like another problem with this is because they do not hold accountability because there is not decisions made they do not do this there has been a swirl of abuse that happens, which then goes too far. But then yeah. this also flows down into lower leagues mm-hmm. where there's not the technology and all this happened. And it puts other younger people off refereeing. And you see, you know, in stuff in Sunday League and lower league stuff, referees not wanting to do it because it's not worth aggro, not worth hassle. And that shouldn't happen. But it all stems down from the top. But there's no accountability. But there's no accountability. Yeah. And that is one big issue that needs to be sorted because this, we're the best. We have the best league in the world. We have the best league in the world. We have the best managers in the world. We have some of the best players in the world. But we have games that are too often the talking points are about refereeing decisions. Referees are there to blow a whistle and officiate a game. 
they are not there to do anything else, but there's too often the referees end up being the main talking point. They end up being the main man. And how much time we spend talking about Anthony Taylor. And of course, Mike Dean is obviously involved in some way because it's Mike Dean and he's in the VAR <laughs> truck and he's still involved in the game. It's a joke. Anyway, anyway, I'm going to yeah. leave it there. We've got a lot of listener questions to get through and I do want to get onto them. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First question comes in from Tom Coley. Jose Impressions marks out of 10 for Tuchel. Because Jam, that was, you know, we've kind of seen some comments get made by him. You know, he said on an anti-talent, not only the fans, the players know what is going on. They know it. Obviously, as you mentioned, there's that comment earlier um, that he said about Anthony Taylor. I'll just quickly get Nizar Kinsella's um, tweet up when I can find it, hopefully. But it was, yeah, it was just one of those where it's not great and we do not want to see it Yeah. Too cool on his record. I cannot coach for these, but the referee can whistle the next game. I mean, Jam, just like, but in terms of like that Jose performance, because again, we saw him going at it with Conte on the touchline. We saw Conte celebrate in front of him. Tuchel get annoyed. We saw then Tuchel run past him. I mean, Thomas Tuchel was feeling that. And again, I think the love just even somehow got even stronger for him despite the result. There was so much love. There was so much passion. There was so much yeah. fire. There was so much chaos in that game. And Thomas Tuchel, I mean, that was like, he full on has just gone for it now, hasn't he? He has decided, you know what, screw it. He knows he's probably getting an FA fine. He's, you know, probably getting, you know, a fine, a ban, whatever, but he's just gone for it. Yeah. Do you know what I've loved about Tuchel so far? And uh, this is going to sound like a contradiction to what I'm going to say, but what I loved about him is, is his composure in highly stressful situations, whether it's the sanctions, whether it's, Lukaku, X, Y, Z, he's always handled himself extremely well. And I think that's why a lot of the fan base fell in love with him. But today, if there was ever a fixture where we needed Mr. Man to come out and just show himself off, this was it. And I I, I can't lie, when he ran down the touchline, I just felt, I felt something. I haven't felt that with Chelsea for ages. Do you know what I mean? And like I look, I look back to the Bernabeu where, yeah, great, that that was an excellent performance, and I'm not underwriting that, but I just genuinely can't think of the last time where it was a Premier League game, and I wanted to rip my shirt in half through joy. I genuinely was just running around my living room, just going absolutely mad, and he set me off. Like I was really happy we scored, but when I saw him running down the touchline, I just felt. I felt gassed and 
Yeah, I, I think Tuchel today has handled himself incredibly well because there's always a lot of needle between Chelsea and Spurs and you can never get away from that. Yeah, albeit last season we beat them four times, but when it happens on the pitch, I think you do need to just rise up to the occasion. You do need to rise up to the occasion. I think today he just handled himself brilliantly against a, who who probably now is a villain in a lot of our eyes, even though he won the league with us. Um, you know, against Conte. And I, I, I just, when I think about it, I just keep smiling because I, I think he was brilliant today. I really do. Yeah, Tom, just for the Jersey impressions, I will go, you know, we'll go a solid a solid eight out of 10. There's still, still some more we can do, you know, until we have, you know, the famous, you know, there is a, uh, what is it, a conspiracy against Chelsea, whatever that famous yeah. line is, you know, there is a, against Chelsea there's a campaign against Chelsea that's it there's a campaign against that's Chelsea it. Yeah. until we get there is a campaign against Chelsea he has not gone full Jose but he's he's made a reference especially what's pertinent is as I said earlier he didn't really he tried to play down the Anthony Taylor thing but afterwards he has clearly mentioned it and he's clearly you know said something about it he kind of knows and he's gone for it we saw him you know the way was it you know Conte full-time the handshake thing all the fight you know had to be separated the touchline at various points but honestly he's gone you know that was a that was a very good um Jose and pressure from Tuchel and I love it because he cared and he was passionate and he's a fiery game and you need that passion from everyone and it was I say all 11 players on the pitch and I said I genuinely can't really fault you know there were mis- there were still obviously issues as we mentioned like not taking chances etc but I can't really fault too many I can't fault players people that much because that was just a team that was so fun to watch a game that was fun to watch as freaking as as robbed as we were it was just a brilliant game and a brilliant you know performance but we just we didn't get results up but look credit to him for that now next question mike all negative feelings aside how much do you love Tuchel? i mean i guess this probably just lays into that we love him he's brilliant conte's a wig wearing wanker simple as um expletive it's fine i'm, I'm allowed to say that on here i'm pretty sure it's i've got i'll put the expletive tag next to it don't worry he is yeah he won a premier league with us but honestly i do not care bridges have now been officially burned i was yep. you know last year was fairly Agreed. cordial but bridges have now been burned and it is simple as that. If they weren't already, obviously to some people, they probably already burned long before that. But to me, they are now officially burned. And yeah, love Tuchel. Love him. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get on to other potential signs we might make, which might, you know, question it, et cetera. And the performances aren't always great to watch. But in terms of him as a man, the way he's conducted himself in his time at Chelsea, he's brilliant. And I just want him to be a success, a success here so much. Um, next question comes in from... Uh, JL uh, I thought Chelsea were much better than I expected tidy and all three new signs of confident are we still short of a striker Jam yes I think are we still short of a striker yeah y- yeah of course we are and I, I, do you know what the funny thing is I think today if we would have had <laughs> I'm going to say it I'm going to say it if we would have had the bald guy up front he, he genuinely I think he could have actually got a few goals I think today's the kind of day, the way we were playing football, I think he could have done. Now, that's not me saying that we need him. I'm not. I'm just saying, obviously, there are alternatives out there. That is That ship has sailed, obviously. But in terms of a proper number nine, yes, we, 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 we are still lacking that. Because unfortunately for Mr. Man, Kai Havertz, you know, that's just not his bag. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. I'm not saying he's rubbish, but he's just not that player that we need up there in that formation. He, he's just not. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're still lacking a striker. We need a goal, goal scorer, you know? Yeah, uh, his second question was, who is Spurs' best player? Why was it Anthony Taylor? Um, yeah, 
probably fair. Probably the fair. one. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, no, and we kind of mentioned Kai Havertz, and I think it's a good question. Dean Mears, can we have a chat about Havertz? Shows you moments of pure quality, has fight inside of him. But then, we, but when do we start to question that he's just not delivering for us? Because, Jam, as I said, that Kai Havertz performance was a lot better than Everton last week. He was getting involved. There were nice little touches, nice little moments of play. Obviously, he had a shot saved by Hugo Lloris, I think that led to the corner that we scored from with Koulibaly. He also missed a guilt edge chance. Reese James probably put the best delivery in of the game as seen, and Kai Havertz misses it. And obviously, we then scored later. But again, it's one of those with Kai. As a fan, watching that game, he didn't get the goal, but you're kind of loving the performance because he's getting stuck in. He's getting passionate. He's really fighting. He's showing anger. He's getting frustrated when decisions don't go his way. That performance kind of had all the character we need from him and it had moments. But the problem is, like, as good as that is, his job is to score goals. If he's going to be up front for this team, his job is to score goals. And he is, it's a big chance he's missed today. Oh, absolutely. I think the thing with Kai is he looks aesthetically pleasing. So when he does stuff and it comes off, it it always looks very nice. But sometimes in football, as fans, we don't always rate the people that are, as, that are just effective. And some people might do, we all view football differently. But I remember Andre Schurler. I remember Schurler. And I when, when he came to Chelsea and he started getting a few goals here, there and everywhere... One of my mates, he's a Liverpool fan, he said, I don't know about this guy. I don't like him when I watch him, da 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 X, Y, Z. Then afterwards, at the end of the season, he was like, actually, I changed my mind. I really like him. He's just purely effective. And Kai's like the opposite of that. He looks nice, but he's not as effective. Do you know what I mean? And unfortunately for him, if he's going to play up front in that position, I know Sherla wasn't necessarily a striker, but if Kai's going to play up front, we need to see more goal involvements we need to see and and I've been kind saying goal involvements I could have said goals but I've said goal involvements like we need to see and get right involved in the play getting these assists if he is going to be that kind of playmaker type striker get some assists then do you know what I mean create some chances for us we're just not seeing enough from him and it's now getting to the point where I saw a tweet where someone said Kai Havertz's Champions League final goal winner has expired. And I find myself thinking, I can't really disagree with that, as stupid as it is to say it. It's it's a bit peak. Like, we need to see more from Kai this season. We really do. Yeah, no, exactly. Look, what I will say, it was a lot more encouraging display than last week. The game did suit him a lot more. But unfortunately, these games are decided on moments. And Spurs had, what? I mean, Spurs did miss a couple of chances. Kane missed a chance he wouldn't have expected him to. Sessegnon shot at Mendy early in the uh, first half. But Spurs had, you know, were a lot more clinical than our state. And that's unfortunate. And the reason why we get dragged into top four races over the last few years and we're not challenged to is we're not clinical. Because we did enough to win that game today. And on another day, we win that game because, you know, the refereeing errors didn't happen. But there would still be attacking issues to from take away from our game. And these attacking issues just get highlighted a little bit more now because of the refereeing incompetence. But in general, as I said, Sterling missed a great chance. I mean, Ruben, it's a brilliant solo dribble from Ruben in the box. He lays it off to Sterling, who beats one, and he fires over from that close. You're thinking he has to score, unfortunately. And it's not just Kai, it's Raheem as well there. And look, Raheem, to be fair, again, I think he's been pretty good in his first two games. He's looked lively. He's looked, you know, he's looked lively. He's been a bit of a live wire mat team up front. But we've got to put those chances away. We've got to put those chances away. And unfortunately, the attack, you know, until that happens, it's going to be frustrating because said, you know, top teams will punish us. 
And we kind of saw that in games with Liverpool last season. Yeah, well, look, not that I want to be proven right or anything like that, but this is what I said with, with Raheem. It's it's not necessarily a team where he's going to get as many chances as he did with City, high-quality chances. So when he gets these chances, he needs to put them away. That, yeah. unfortunately, wasn't good enough, and he lost composure. But I'm not going to drag him for it, but he really needs to understand where he is right now, and he needs to start becoming a lot more clinical than he has been. He really yeah. does. Yeah, I know that obviously goes to, to Kai and Raheem, because I said, I thought Raheem did have a really good game. He was lively, absorbed, obviously got the assist. But those chances, we've kind of signed him because he's better than our attackers. We kind of do expect to finish that. Like there may be some slightly, you know, the expectations are probably a bit higher on him than other players. Look, I don't want to like focus, you know, divert that attention from Kai to to Raheem too much because I've said Kai was decent apart from his finishing, and Raheem was pretty solid today. Uh, next question comes in from Trey. What a bet? What's a better partnership for you, Asby Chalaba? Uh, as B slash Chalaba and Reese at right wing back or Reese and Ruben at right wing back. I mean, Jam, for me, I guess it's just a question of opponent dependent because Reese was kind of played right centre back and Song Hyun Min was anonymous today. He was anonymous. And then obviously, we did probably see, again, because if I'm correct, as came on for Georgie after the equaliser, as went to right centre back, Reese to right wing back, I think, unless Reese stayed right centre back and as stayed right wing back, actually, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, we still found like Reese in a position where we want him to be further up the pitch. But I guess what is it? Is it just a question of like, is it just opponent dependent? Because obviously Reese at right wing back still, you know, we see we do we will see the better if his quality is more. Yeah, I think you have to look after Reese's minutes. Um we, you know, we we all know that he's bordering on being injury prone, you know. Is he, is he not? We we we'll have to wait and see. But we have to manage his minutes so he can't play every game. And yes, I would say because of that, it is opponent dependent. It's a bit of a shame. You know, if he if he does find himself being quite fit, I'd love to see him play more games because that cross he put into Kai Havertz today, stuff like that, he could just pull it out of his arse and he's just phenomenal at that. And he obviously got the goal today. Um, in terms of the preferred partnership, it, yeah, I mean, I think um, Loftus-Cheek did well in front of Reese. I think he really did. I do question today, though, if it was right, if it was Reese being right centre back. I I would actually genuinely say more often than not, he was right back and uh, Loftus Cheek was like right in the middle of like a four in midfield. That's what it felt like. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a flexible formation, what yeah, it can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way of saying it. It was quite flexible. It, just more times than not, it felt more like Reese was actually a right back and Loftus Cheek was just right of a diamond. And I think that worked really well. I think, you know, even if I was to say Reese right centre back, Loftus Cheek right wing back, I liked their connection today. I think it, it you know, they cooked. So I'd prefer that as a partnership to answer Trey's question. Uh, next question comes in from RJ. What does Tuchel say to the team after that performance? I mean, because it's a tough one. That dressing room must be. It's I, I can't even try and gauge with you know me just because they're probably gutted, but they're also like fuming at you know just what's you know how that's happened. Does he just simply say that was brilliant? That was the best, like what we've said. That's the best I've seen you play in a long time. You know, just try and channel that. And I guess I know it's early days, but it seems a fire has already been stoked between us and Conte this season. There's already a chance there, you know, to I guess tap into that and use that as motivation moving forward, you know, for if when we come across Spurs again later in the season. But also, is it a, you know, a question goes, boys, you know, 
that was really good top football. We can, you know, let's build on that. Let's not let's make sure that wasn't a one-off type thing. Yeah, I think it, the the overriding message will have to be that of positivity. And you know, talk about the decisions that went against us. But yeah, I think considering the preseason we had and how everyone's kind of been grilling Chelsea and saying, Ooh, not sure about this game, whatever. Come out of that and say, look at that. Look what you can do, boys. This is the level. This is the bar being set now. Our season starts today and uh, that is the bar. You know, the Everton result, I almost don't want to count it because I think we were quite fortunate we're playing against yeah. a very bad team. The Everton um, result is one where we just like, we just take it. We take it, but yeah. that level of performance isn't good enough. But because we never win there, we're kind of like, you know what, we'll take it. 100%, exactly that. And, uh, you know, this game, I'd say our season starts today and we look at that performance and go, Okay, 2-2 two, two against Spurs. They did very well. They scammed us, but we've got to look at the positives here. And I would ride off that positive energy because I think Chelsea recently in the last year or so, maybe even longer than that, actually going right back into when Lampard's results started going against him, we've just had negativity. Obviously, we won the Champions League with Tuchel. But and we kind of rode that wave for about two or three months last year. And then when that ran out, normal service kind of resumed. Well, this is it. And I think everyone's sick and tired of negativity. The the sanctions came in in February, right? Yeah. And since then, it's just been negative, negative. Chelsea are going to do this, X, Y, Z. Is this going to happen? They can't do this. They can't do that. You know, it, it, it is mentally draining. It went right up until May. So, you know, these guys probably just want to smile again when they're playing football. So I would hope that Tuchel, and I think he would do this because he's an excellent man manager, I think he would be like, right, guys, let's just ride this wave. We were excellent today. Our next game is Leeds. Yeah. Leeds. Let's go and take this into the Leeds game. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I think you'll ride off that, that way. Yeah. And look, obviously, there's three games before the transfer window closes, Leeds, Leicester and Southampton. And Thomas Tuchel's now got to say to those players, boys, let's try and get three wins from there. Because if we get, if we've got 13 points from our first five games, that is a ridiculously good start for us. Given mm-hmm. the, given how preseason was, given the state we were going into the season, given how, you know, how much uncertainty there still is about who will and who won't be involved. If we can get 13 points from our first five games, that is a brilliant start to the season. We've just got to build on it and we've just got to build on it and we've just got to keep going. Uh, hey, RJ, second question was, do we see more of Ruben and Ryan back after his awesome display there? Jan, we kind of saw him last, came on against Everton as a sub end of last game. Um, and today was brilliant as a right wing back. And look, we've kind of said, and this is why I've kind of championed, like I said, I want Ruben to stay at Chelsea Football Club because he's not, he is, I, I, this is going to, he is, he is out, he is 2022's Paolo Ferreira for us. You know, Paolo Ferreira, and Paolo Ferreira is, was a lot more talented as a right back than Ruben Loftus-Cheek, by the way. I do not want that to be, but Ruben Loftus-Cheek is that guy he put in seven out of ten performances for you. He's he's very unlikely, I think, going to get those nine out of ten performances out of like he was doing at his peak, you know, 18, 19 under Sari. But I don't think we're going to see a stink from him. I can't remember the last Ruben stinker I saw for Chelsea in a while. He's been solid. He's been reliable. He started right wing back in the Bernabeu. He started right wing back against Spurs today. He's got a role to play here. And look, I obviously would prefer reach right wing back and then we'll, we'll get on, you know, a potential Wesley Fafana right centre-back. Who knows? You know, I won't go into any further than that. Trev right centre-back maybe, as to right centre-back at points. But Ruben Loftus-Cheek at right wing-back certainly, in my opinion, does have a role to play. But what do you think, Jam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, where where we were talking about so many outgoings happening potentially this um, window and where Aspie's only just signed a, a new deal, what, maybe a week ago, uh, before that when he looked like he was likely to go. I wasn't actually worried about having Loftus-Cheek as the backup right wing back. And I, I generally actually think that that's where he's going to play. I don't think Aspie's going to really have to play right wing back unless circumstances within a, a certain game dictate that he might need to do that. We are not going to see Aspie out there, in my opinion. So, yeah, with that in mind, Loftus-Cheek could easily be the 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 cover there. And and we obviously know that he could play in centre mid. And he ended up playing in centre mid today. Like, he moved inside. So, you know, he's very useful. Where where these links for him going were, were, seem to be so strong over the last couple of weeks, I, I I don't think that's the case. I really don't. Like, you know, it'd be silly to get rid of him. There isn't really another player that does what he does in this squad at the moment. So he's he's mass he's definitely got a part to play and I like him. And the funny thing is you you're you're very right with what you said, Nick, about the seven out of ten performances. Spot on. But I think all it needs for a player like him that's teetering on the edge of eights or nines is that one game where he might just clart one in from the edge of the box and maybe get an assist. And all of a sudden, all we're talking about is Ruben, 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 Ruben. You've got the fans singing his name. Then he gets that next level of confidence where he knows he can do this. Like today, when he got into the box and cut it back, no, he, he kind of did a little dummy, did another dummy, didn't really work out for him. That'll work out next time. Do you know what I mean? He'll just probably use his left foot and put it in. Yeah, no, because exactly. I, I think there's a lot to come from it. Exactly, because I think there was a moment earlier on in the game he got into the box, dribbled, probably took a touch too too long. But then in the second half, he kind of got in a position and offloaded it to Sterling. And again, it's just those little small things if he can kind of keep them up. Um, next question comes in, and it's probably from the king of positive positivity himself, Patrick Larson. For a positive, who was your standout performer today and why? Jam, this is probably quite a tough one because I thought there were quite a lot of good performers out there. This is a tough one. Um You've got Reese James. I thought Reese James was great. I thought Kante was really good. And yeah. people people like to ignore him because we expect world-class performances only. But I'm going to mention his name. Oh, I think if I was going to pick one, it would be Koulibaly. I, I, I think so. And it feels weird saying his centre-back was the stand-up performer today. But I think he was. I think he really was. I think even going forward and attacking, he kick-started a lot of our attacks. He really did. And he scored that goal. I, I thought he was excellent. And in defence, he was great. Mount, he had the, he had a good game, but yeah. I generally couldn't think of anyone else. Yeah, we barely mentioned Mason Mount, but that was him sort of back yeah. to... We kind of mentioned that was him back to, you know, a bet the levels that we kind of do expect from him. Yeah. 100%. I, I, mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's really... I'm just so tempted to just say, you know, this left-hand side, Kukurela, he was a threat with his passing, with his crosses, where, you know... Koulibaly as well. So just so much like progressive passes. And you said he's good at both feet, good distribution. Yeah, Kante, again, Kante, that was, he was buzzing about, you know, winning balls, et cetera, playing his part. In general, like, there were a lot of good performances out there. And again, I'm, again, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, we just mentioned, I thought was, was pretty brilliant as yeah. well, Pat. So yeah, there were a lot of uh, questions there. Uh, next question comes in from James. Blaming the officiating is the easy thing to do after match, but were we outmaneuvered by Conte? Conte made the right changes to affect the game and snare a point from the jaws of defeat. TT stuck Ooh. with his starters for too long and lost two points for it, and Kante for two months. 
he has got a second question. Um, oh, sorry, no, sorry, let's continue on. Do you think Tuchel has a lack of belief in his bench players? And do you think he often waits too long to make changes in matches? So that was quite damning because, Jam, I'm going to be brutally honest. There was, for a period, I think Tottenham's like, tactical changes did kind of work a little bit. But by the end, we kind of got used to it. Like, we were still pretty much, there was like a spell where Tottenham, like, we got back into it. But then as soon as we went 2-1 up, we were pretty much in control again for the rest of that game. Like, no, in fact, as soon as it went to 1-0, we then regained control pretty much straight away. So I'm, I'm kind of wary to go, you know, to Conte made, you know, Conte's changes change the game. What? And again, so, but do you think Tuchel has a lack of belief in his bench players? And do you think he waited too long? Because again, I'm also thinking like he hasn't got Kovacic out there. He doesn't have a natural replacement for the double pivot. You know, we saw Ruben went in there when Georgie got sent off. Uh, no, Georgie got subbed off. I mean, his other option I get, you know, he did bring on was Conor Gavica, who again, I thought was decent off the bench, was lively. Obviously, play a part. I think the, the only critical, he played that pass to Mount and Mount's pulled his shot target. I think if Connor's pass is a little bit better, Mount doesn't maybe have to readjust quite as much. Mm-hmm. But I thought Connor was still lively off the bench. But do you do you think he waits too long to make change? And do you think he has a lack of belief in his bench players? Or I think today, if you're really going to nitpick, he did wait too long. I, I do hear that. I, I actually said that to my brother, who I watched the game with um, myself. So... There was a, a clear shift in momentum for at least five minutes um, when Conte made that sub. As soon as that sub happened, then there was a shift in momentum for a good five minutes, maybe a bit longer than they got that goal. Um, you could almost feel it coming. There's a funny sense you get with football where something needs to change. Now, when he changed it, then funnily enough, it came back to us. So when you look at it like that, perhaps he could have made a change a little bit earlier, but would we have held out? Who knows? It's a bit hard to say. Fact is, he made the change and we actually took the lead again. So actually, I'm not I'm not really going to knock Conte... Uh, not Conte, sorry. Jeez. Uh, I'm not really going to knock uh, Tickle long-term with what I think was a bit of a slow decision today. Yeah, I'm also That's not going to fault. I'm also not going to yeah. fault at all for Kante getting injured because Kante was and, one of yeah. the best players on the pitch, and he had to be on there. You're exactly. two one up, and you're trying to predict a lead. And unfortunately, he stretch he stretches for a ball and gets a hamstring injury. If this was later on in the season, there'd be more questions asked. But there's two games in. It's just unfortunately the reality of Angola Kante is he's not quite as durable as he once was. That's for reality. 100%. But that's not. Yeah. I don't think necessarily that's Tuchel's fault because again, we've had eight days since we played at Everton, so Kante has had sufficient rest going into this game, you'd think. So I can't really, like, blame him for that, you know. And obviously, as a result, Kante getting injured, Gallagher goes on. But none of us would have wanted Gallagher coming on for Kante if Kante wasn't injured. So it, it's, one of those, it's one of those yeah. things. I don't... I get the thing about subs because in the past on this podcast, I have been very critical of subs. I remember there was a, a game last season, we drew one all at Brighton. And he was too cool moaning about his players being tired, but he didn't make any subs till the 80th minute against Brighton when he made a triple change. By like, which point, what do you expect? And there are times, don't get me wrong, when I think he is slow with his subs and late with his subs. But today, I'm just going to, you know, look what he did. Obviously, I know the subs he made um, were Azpilicueta coming on at one all. But if we just go, yeah, so if we go here. So, yes, yeah, so, so Azpilicueta came on for Jorginho at, at one all which meant Ruben went into midfield. Again, I get that because Tuchel probably thought, you know, we maybe just want a bit more drive in midfield now. You know, we need we need to get that goal again. Jorginho had a good game. He helped us control it, but we kind of now needed that goal to get. And then he brings on um, Pulisic for Sterling. That's absolutely fine. That's like for like. And then 
Connor goes goes on for Angolo. That's understandable because Angolo's got injured. And then the Armando for Kai at 90. It, you maybe could Armando have come on for Kai earlier, maybe. But again, Kai, aside from missing his chances, was decent up front today. He was still offering a lot. He was still running. He was still working hard. Today is one of those where, yes, yeah, so the only criticism is maybe does he make that change earlier, you know, before, because that change comes as soon as, you know, five minutes after whatever, or yeah, in the time because there's a drinks break involved as well. Spurs equalised. But at the same time, I'm looking on that bench. His only midfield option was Conor Gallagher. His only central midfield option on that pitch day was Conor Gallagher, unless he wants to bring Trevor Chalabar on his like DM or whatever. Because he had Hudson Adorno on the bench, ZH on the bench, Brozier on the bench, Chilwell on the bench. You're not going to bring Chilwell on. So it's one of those. In general, I, I think his subs, he does sometimes wait too long, but I struggle to be too critical of a change. He said, maybe, could he have maybe, maybe, maybe Connor for Georgie at seven, you know, 70 minutes, maybe, who knows? It, it's a tough one. I'm honestly like, I'm nitpicking it. I'm really struggling to, to do it. I don't even like, as I said, I don't think Conte's tactics were amazing. Like they worked for a little bit, but then I still think we kind of got used to them. We dealt with them. And I said, their goal, as much as it comes from, I guess, these players and these new tactics on the pitch, it's still, we should, you know, actually not, their goal isn't necessarily tactical genius. It's us being our own victims and also referees are doing their job. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one to really go. Look, I think he's got trust in those bench players. I obviously don't think, you know, if I don't think he probably trusts Conor Gallagher yet, which is understandable because Conor Gallagher is probably not, Conor Gallagher, I don't think he's suited to this system necessarily right at the moment. And we've got to try and find a role for him in this team somehow if we're going to keep him around. But there's no Kovacic on the bench. I'm kind of really hard to be crucial because we have three main central midfielders and we only had two of them today. And when one goes off injured, you've got trouble. So it's one of those I don't want to be um, too critical of. Next question comes in from Captain Mount. Anthony Gordon, do we really need him? No, no, we don't. Um, Jam, look, there's been talks of a 40 million bid for Anthony Gordon. I'm going to be brutally honest. 40 million is an awful lot of money for a player who is in his second season of Premier League football. Fair play, credit to him. But a player who kind of probably was maybe, of course, a bright spark in a horrendous Everton side last year. But for a Chelsea side that lacks cutting edge, do we need a player who's got four goals in 51 games with three assists? Now, I know there's context. It's Everton. He's playing for an abysmal Everton side. He's talented. He is a lively player, Jan. But we've got someone like Callum hudson Oh, you can't get him the team and who's pretty, you know, who leaves a lot wanting in front of goal. Mason Mount would start. And again, I look at Anthony Gordon and I kind of go, you're a decent player, but you kind of remind me of Mason Mount 1920. Mason Mount is now two years past that and he's gone levels. I don't think we need an Anthony Gordon, a player at the levels of Mason Mount currently, you know, a, a player but probably at current levels of Mason Mount his first season with us. I don't think we really need him. And 40 million is an awful lot of money. No, no, we, we we really don't need him. We can use that 40 million to add to the pot of get us a, a good profile number nine. We don't need to spend it on a, a number, an, another winger. Maybe he can play up front, but I don't think he predominantly does. So no, no, thank you. Anthony Gordon's a very direct player. And I think he's actually quite talented. I'm not going to knock him as a player, but I don't think you were either, but we have a lot of excess in terms of that department. I'd rather keep what we got. Yeah. <laughs> didn't spend any money on him, to be honest with you. So, yeah, quick answer. No. Hell yeah. no. The simple no. question is, is he an upgrade on what we currently have in this Chelsea team? No. So there's no reason why we should be spending 40 million. You don't 
sign players to your squad who are worse than what you've already got. You sign players yep. who are probably of a similar level, or certainly for that amount of money, you do not spend on players who are, you know, you spend on a players who are a similar level to what you've got or better. Anthony Gordon, I've got no doubt, is a good player. He's a good player for Everton. That's a club he should stay, stay should develop. Who knows, maybe in a few years he will get a big move to a big club if he keeps a promise up. But there's no to reason. Newcastle. You're spending forty million on a guy with four goals in his career. Like no, yeah. he's talented. He could very well be a very good player. I, you know, he's probably one of the bright sparks for Everton fans right now. But no, forty million. Just no. And Chose this is my only. Him. This is my only slight worry. Mm. It's my only slight worry. Is kind of like the names we're linked. Like I, he's not a name we were linked with till like the last week. Or so and we're getting to that point where you know we talk about players being discontent, etc. But you don't like it. Just reeks of panicking. It just reeks of panicking going for him. And again, we may even be in a similar situation with what we potentially might have to pay for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. You know, again, that one. Yeah, you know, we will not get into that on this podcast, but we will um, leave there. I guess the final question, and it's quite nice, I guess, to end on this note, comes in from good friend of ours, Michele. I'm plastic, so I just want to know Jams Nando's order. To be honest. Oh my god. Um... Medium, half chicken, and uh, double peri peri fries. Fair enough. I'm a. I'm just a. I love their fries. I'm just a but, medium butterfly chicken with uh, garlic bread and, and peri peri like fries. Simple as. Um, his yeah, second question was, which secret society member would you like to be stuck on a desert island with? Which which Jan, which person from our little secret society would you like to be stuck on a desert island with? Oh, there's going to be so many people, literally. And Michele, what he does is there's about 20 people who will get this, who will like know who these people are. So <laughs> for the rest of our listeners, I'm just completely alienating you here. But oh, well, it's going to happen anyway. This um, is brilliant. No, no, this is brilliant. I can say it. I can say it. Um, if I actually said what I was going to say, then you know the banner that I'd get. You, you know the banner that I'd get. It'd be funny. Um, <laughs> um, well... No, to be honest, you, my friend. He's only saying that because I'm here. No, he loves me. He loves me. Yeah, yeah of course I do. Fair enough. I'll, I'm going to cop out and go jam as well. But to be fair, I think jam and I would be a good a good team. Like, they'd be quite resourceful. We'd probably find a way. Uh, one good person, obviously, there's one person who sent in a question earlier. He knows who he is, who is probably one of the most positive people out there. And who knows, on a desert island, I think that would be pretty important to have someone to keep your spirits up. Uh, so... You know who you are. You sent in a question earlier. So that is also for you, my friend. The, the female equivalent of him too. Of course, of course. More than welcome. You know. Yeah, they're all welcome. They're all welcome. Um, Jam, obviously, I guess we've not actually, you know, I haven't spoken about it, but Timo Werner has left. And we're just going to round on this. Timo Werner has left Chelsea Football Club. Um, it was actually nice. He was at the game today supporting the boys, which is just, I guess, really nice to see. Um, but it's confirmed he's moved back to RB Leipzig, scored on his debut for them. Surprise, surprise. Although goalkeeping howler let's not get carried away let's you know let's not go crazy let's not lose our shit let's not bemoan you know how you know Timo Werner was a world beater we ruined him let's not go that far yet um but Jam Timo Werner it's just one of those a player who I'm gonna he was adorably rubbish <laughs> it's, it's kind of what I'm gonna <laughs> describe him as and, and and like I don't mean and I don't mean to be mean he was such a nice guy he was such a great personality but he wasn't very good well, he wasn't good enough for what we needed. But Jam, he's in a happier place now. He's in a place where he can thrive, hopefully. He's in a league where he can thrive. But he needs a Champions League winner, a player who was a big part of our success. 
He needs a Club World Cup winner and a Super Cup winner and a player who gave us some beautiful moments. A, a man who gave me probably the ha- one of the happiest five minutes of my life of a burn bow when we were briefly going through to the semi-finals. Just a quick word on Timo Werner. Yeah, I I really like him. Um, do you know, I've seen a lot of opinions saying the least you should ever expect from a professional is that they work their hardest. No, no, no. We, we know in reality that's not the case. And as bad United. as it was going for him at times. Well, yeah, exactly. As bad as the thing I like about Timo is as bad as it was going for him at times, he never changed what he wanted to do and how hard he worked. He was always at that level. Yeah, you can argue he wasn't exactly working out for us in terms of what we needed, but you know, there's no doubt that there is a good player there. Um absolutely no doubt in that. And, you know, he needs to go to a team and he's probably at a team that suits his style of play a lot more. And sometimes in life, and I'm going beyond sports here, sometimes in life that happens. You can be talented at one thing. You can go to a job and then you realise the job's not for you because of X, Y, Z. You shake hands, you move on. It happens. There's no shame in that. Um, And unfortunately, people are going to remember him as a flop. And I understand that. I really do. Because, you know, he had a lot of horrendous misses and more than that, you know, sometimes really bad dribbles but I do think he's a good player in the in the right system and hopefully he shows off what he can do hopefully not to our expense but you know I'm going to keep an eye on him because I really like him I think he's a really nice guy and you know seeing him at the game today actually kind of brought that home for me the fact that apparently he's gone back to say goodbye to everyone properly like that is yeah that that's uh, that's very touching isn't it yeah, Fair exactly. exactly. The fact he had a game yesterday, he's come back and watched a game here. Still obviously got a lot of love. And look, Timo Werner, it was short, it was sweet, but you also had a brilliant chant that we love singing for two years. So it was fun while it lasted. Um, you know, contrary to the lyrics, you know, you did, you know, I, I, I did have enough by the end, Timo, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I certainly had had enough. But, you know, for those two years, it, it was glorious. It was beautiful. And look, you scored some big goals, helped us win the biggest prize on earth in the Champions League. So in my eyes, man, it didn't work out. Yeah, you were a bit of a flop, but I won't say a bad word about you. I won't say a bad word about you, your, his personality, his character, because he never threw in the towel. He never sulked. He's just a good guy. It just didn't work out. And you want good guys to do well in life. So look, credit to him. He's still going to have a top career. He's had a top career and he's won some trophies with us. All the best to him. Um, Marcus Alonso still hasn't fucked off. Um, to Barcelona right now uh, you know that hopefully is happening soon I do have a lot of love for Marcus I do have a lot of love for Marcus when he goes there will be a glowing eulogy paid tribute to him because Marcus Alonso is actually you know a big Chelsea cult hero he's one of my favourite Chelsea players to have played over recent seasons but he's like that long running TV series slash film franchise that needed to be cut a while ago and it seems that this summer is the time it gets cut and I'm looking forward to it but Marcus when you do eventually fuck off to Barcelona it is with Best wishes from all of us. You have won it all at Chelsea Barber Carabao Cup. You've been a top player. You scored some big goals, but the proper tribute will come when you eventually fuck off. But big love to you, my man. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? Just quickly on that point. I mean, I'm conflicted because I, yeah, like, like I said, like, like you said, sorry, I respect what he did for us. Absolutely respect what he did for us. But Barcelona, I, I want that team to go under. So unfortunately, he's going to be collateral. You know what? 
maybe it's the world evening itself out maybe it's it's justice who knows i'll leave it there. i won't go any more controversial statements there <laughs> no i yes marcus alonso is a great fit at barcelona his strengths and weaknesses align perfectly with a team where he can't be registered to play football yeah that, that was said tweet. I think it's quite good. It's quite apt. Um, apologies. This is not meant to be Mark Alonso slander session yet. I do like him. I do actually really like him. I'm going to be oddly sad when he goes. It's going to be a weird wave of emotion that goes over me. But yeah, we're kind of... That's left foot in the Premier League. No, exactly. Exactly. So the credit to him, but it we've got be. Cucurella now. Yeah. We've got the heir to the throne. We've got the Spanish heir to the throne in Cucurella, who's got fantastic hair as well. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there. Jam, it's been a pleasure, my man. It's been a two-all draw. It's been a game, you know, where we were robbed. We've gone over that. We, you know, we didn't get the result we deserved, but it was good fun chatting. Uh, before you go, why don't you give yourself a plug where people can find your work and all the brilliant work for Chelsea Social Do? Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. No, it's always a pleasure coming on. Unfortunately, we've got that Desmond Tutu today, but, you know, hopefully we uh, go from strength to strength now. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my at is at carefree underscore jam. Uh, that is also the same for TikTok and Instagram. Um, and I'm, yeah, co-owner of the Chelsea Social. So that's at the Chelsea Social and uh, the Chelsea Women's page too, which is at the CFCW Social too. Yeah, make sure you check Jam and all the great people of the Chelsea Social. Obviously, we've had Jam on before, had other brilliant people from Chelsea Social as well, and they produce great Chelsea content, brilliant articles, etc. for you to read. As for us, we're on Twitter, about Chelsea Podcast. We're on Instagram, about Chelsea Pod. We're on Twitter, about Chelsea Pod. Uh, we're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating review, a five-star review. does a lot, goes a long way. When I tweet your product, any likes, retweets, shares, goes a long way. Uh, putting on some people's timelines and they'll just play it to anyone for functioning pair of these, please. Hopefully for some people it's quite cathartic. Hopefully we're able, you know, to have a, a serious but also comical look at it. And as we kind of saw at the end there, we are happy to just kind of just go off the rails of it and just chat out nonsense to end up. But it's been a pleasure as always. We'll see you next week. But until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.